All right, this is Heat Check, Peyton Gallagher. Ornery Gabe Schwartz, testy Gabe Schwartz. Upset? Very upset. Okay, tell the people why. Well, okay, it was a phenomenal day of basketball, topped at the end by a fantastic game. I think probably, I think it was a game of the tournament so far. Mm-hmm. Um, just from a, because it was a standalone, everybody was watching except for the East Coast because for some reason... We've got games ending at nearly 12.30 a.m. Eastern time on a Sunday night. Well, I hope people still watch. I hope so, but I think a lot of people probably clocked out. But I just... There's been an emerging main character of this weekend, and they wear black and white vertical stripes, and uh, it's, it's a very frustrating feat. I don't necessarily think... Here's the thing. Every time that I go back to one call or another, especially in the TCU-Arizona game... I immediately realized that the other fan base could say this was a bad call. And that is true. But when there is a tie game late and someone is hip checked, it has to be a foul. And then the yeah. the fact that the stop, the clock stopped at 2.2 seconds because they anticipate a foul is ridiculous. Um, but the first thing that I should say is, is Benedict Matherian was incredible. Okay, there we go. And... Let's appreciate the Kirk, good basketball. Yeah, yeah. Kirk Reese. Here's the thing: you can't, you can't just like, uh, you can't, you can't completely ignore the performances of the game because Eddie Lampkin was great. Christian Coloco was great. Mike Miles was really, really good. Eddie, Eddie Lampkin had a double double with just offensive rebounds. Is that factually correct? Twenty points, ten offensive boards, thirteen total rebounds. And it looked like he was kind of playing volleyball with himself. And but the weird thing is, like from a pure basketball analysis standpoint is that like Arizona won the game in overtime by dominating the rebounding. Mm-hmm. And specifically the Coloco uh, put-back slam, which really punctuated the thing. I mean, they got up 77-76 um, and then had a missed free throw that wound up in Matherin's hands for a lay-in offensive rebound second chance. Like there was all of these different plays where Arizona didn't, didn't stop fighting. But... TCU didn't stop fighting either. Like they were down nine at one point in the second half. Mm-hmm. I think it was 67 58, and they clawed back to get up. I think it was 69 67. And they won the race to 69. And they lost. And defied the trend. And they lost the game. But Matherin was great. I keep going back to he was great late. He was three for 11 from three. So it's not like he shot the ball incredibly well. But the dunk. He made the one that mattered. The dunk was incredible. The, the three to tie it was incredible. It goes to overtime, and then there's the possession where. Kirk Risa looked like a little kid at a papa shop <laughs> and missed three consecutive threes. Matherin grabs a rebound, probably travels. Mike Miles probably grabs a, a jump ball. If it was the refs in the Baylor North Carolina game yesterday, it would have oh, been yeah. a jump ball. And instead, if, if, if and it if it Baylor. wasn't, if it were if it were Baylor, yeah. and if it wasn't a jump ball, it was certainly a foul on the floor before the shot. Mm-hmm. So that was incredible. Um, TCU kind of ran out of gas. Everyone on their team wound up in foul trouble. Emmanuel Miller, five fouls. Mike Miles, four fouls. PV fouls out. Lampkin winds up, winds up with four well, fouls. This it's is just a soapbox for us to say, hey, if you get to overtime and you haven't fouled out yet, you probably should get a sixth foul or a fifth foul to give, sixth foul to give. Yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. Um, Benedict Matherin saved an awful night from Tubelis, an awful night from Kerr, one of ten. One of ten. Um, to be fair to him. And Dalen Terry wasn't great. Yeah, yeah, to fight his through ankle. An injury. Yes. Yeah, it yeah, does yeah. matter, but I also feel like that's he very kept possible that he could have gone one for ten if he were completely healthy. And he was just, he kept chucking. So I mean, that's the Kirk Crease away. And he nearly, I mean, he had a bad moment there. Like you said, the the play in which Arizona gets four offensive rebounds, Kirk Crease takes a three on. Three of them. Three of them. I literally said no. No, Kerr. Oh, my God. Like, that was my reaction. Um, so, in this game, three guys set career highs in scoring. Christian Coloco with his 30 points. Chuck O'Bannon. Hit 28. Sorry. 28. <laughs> the last one was pretty much worth four. Um, his 28 points is still a career high because uh, his previous career high, I believe, had been 25. Chuck O'Bannon sets a career high. Uh, Lampkin sets a career high. Benedict Matherin is one point shy of his career high, sets its season high number, which was surprising to me. He hadn't had a 30-point game this year. Um, but, yeah, man, like, this was incredible. I- I'm not going to go as far he had as to say— 30 against Illinois. 
it was the game of the tournament. Yeah, so, okay, fair enough. I'm not going to go as far as to say that this is the game of the tournament, but we did see something that we needed to see from Arizona, which is when you get pushed in a high-pressure situation as a team that has never been here before, what are you going to do? They were down. It wasn't a situation where they were tied. They were never directly threatened at the end of the game. They were down. They had to make shots, and they did. They, and they, they had, they had more to make overtime. a shot, and they hit the, the shot. They, they had more in overtime. Dalen Terry had to make the shot to level it before that. Yeah, but that was like with like five minutes left in the game. So, I, I mean, what I'm saying, though, is that we hadn't, in the crunch time situations, how were they going to respond? And you can't poo-poo this because it's a fact. They did respond, and they won the game against a team that posed a matchup problem that you deserve a lot of credit for. TCU hit the offensive glass. They hit it hard. They got nearly 20 offensive rebounds. And Arizona should be looking at this tape and trying to figure out what can we do to preserve the style of play that we want to have, which is this fast break, get out and transition off opponent misses style. What what can we do to preserve that, protect ourselves against Houston, who does everything TCU does on the offensive glass even better? That is the matchup of the Sweet 16, full stop, no doubt about it to me, that I, I think is the most interesting, just because of the styles make fights parable. Well, and so TCU came into the day, and if the numbers are correct on college basketball reference, TCU was averaging 12.8 offensive rebounds per game, which was 13th in the country. Mm-hmm. Well, guess who averages... 13.3 offensive Houston. rebounds. Yeah, exactly. A top 10 offensive rebounding team in the country. So the fact that the committee didn't necessarily set them up for it, but this is this is the way that the thing... Yeah, put them in dangerous the, situations. The cookie crumbled in the way that they're going to get TCU. They're going to they're gonna get Houston, and both mm-hmm. those teams are incredibly great offensive rebounding teams. I think that TCU and Houston are actually worse matchups for Arizona by far than Villanova is, even if Villanova's more talented and and probably uh, more feared by the general public. Like, I'm so glad that Ken Palm took a victory lap around everyone today when Houston um, pretty much just manhandled that entire Illinois game all day long. And every time Illinois made a run, and I think they got it tied a couple times, never never grabbed a lead though. Uh, Houston just pushed it back, and Illinois had a lead for 35 seconds. Yeah, it was it was very. <laughs> It was very. They did not play well, and Brad Underwood should have to answer for some stuff the last two years. They didn't. He didn't coach well in the tournaments, but I would push back on everyone who's like, "Oh, Illinois has been a failure the last two years." No, like that, no, no, and no, no, that, no, that is where I cross or I draw the line. Not getting to a second weekend though, and John Rothstein said this. Not getting to a second weekend though with a two-time All-American, that is pretty disappointing. Yes, that's, I mean, that's fair. I just would say, though, like, Arizona has gotten a tough draw in the sense that mm-hmm. TCU was a tough tough matchup for them. It was a bad matchup for them. It's a bad matchup for a lot of teams because anytime that someone puts that much pressure on the offensive glass um, and you are a team who wants to allow two dudes to rebound pretty much for you and let everyone else run, like, you're going to give up some chances and Lampkin was dominant on the offensive glass. I thought Peavy and Miller and uh, just the in, the entire group of, of TCU guys, aside from Mike Miles, because like his role was to stay back. Um, everyone crashed the offensive glass mm-hmm. effectively, and that's like that's what I thought was going to make it a competitive game. I didn't anticipate this. I didn't anticipate walking away from it thinking TCU probably got robbed. Okay, uh, that's okay. I I didn't anticipate. Being like legitimately, I feel like I, I think you have to play look away. through it with a certain prism to think that TCU got robbed. The TCU got robbed. The, uh, the hip check at the end was horribly bad. It was horribly bad. It also didn't mean anything. That's not true. What do you think pressed up against his own half court line that Mike Miles is going to do something there with two seconds? It doesn't he, mean. You, I, I no, no, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. We were watching. This is a completely anecdotal response to. Us being in the arena for this game, ASU UCLA ball goes way into the backcourt, and Luther Muhammad runs up on I think it was Jaime Jaquez, 
and fouls him with two seconds left on the shot clock behind the half court line. And Bobby Hurley loses his mind and says to the ref, like, you can't call that there. He's not going to do anything. And then the ref responds and said, Don't you foul. can't you can't foul him there. So my response to you being like Mike Miles isn't a threat there. And I certainly think TCU should have gone quicker because they had backed themselves into a situation where they had less than five seconds left and they were eliminating the chance for an offensive rebound, which is their offense. But at the same time, you can't foul there. Just, just You can't is, just allow fair. the refs to be like, well, he wasn't going to do anything there, that's so fair. we're not calling it. That's fair. It, and it was a tight call. It was a close call. I'm glad they didn't make him the moment. I'm also glad that Dalen Terry didn't get the dunk off. Also, and if they if he had, I don't know if anyone would have realized it, that the clock stopped. The clock stopped yeah. at 2.2 seconds. So Also, Dalen Terry, what are you doing? Why would you try to dunk that ball? What? what? It, it didn't Big end day up mattering. For the floater. Big day for the floater. It didn't end up mattering, but why did you? Why? I love you, Dane Lentier. Why? Don't make no sense. Um, let's talk about Houston because Ken Palm deserves the the chance to, I guess, take a victory lap. I don't think this is one of those where he maybe he got the math right. Maybe he used a different formula than the teacher showed him. But what do you mean? No, this Houston team was not playing like this coming into the conference tournament. Now, they took off a little bit in the conference tournament, and they played exceedingly well the last two games. I would challenge anyone to find a team that has played better than them, aside from maybe Miami, in these first two games. But, like, Houston has found a gear that it didn't look like they had the last month of the season where they looked awful. So, there's a reason why they were a five seed. There is. They probably should have been a four. But there's a reason why they're a five seed, and that's because they played horribly the last three weeks of the season coming into the conference tournaments. So I will push back a little bit on his victory lap because this isn't the team that they were at the end of the year when he continued to rank them highly. With Well, he didn't rank them. His algorithm did. And that said, they've turned the corner. Kelvin Sampson has gotten this team to the Sweet 16 for the third consecutive year. He does so much more with so much less. He gets guys to buy into an incredibly effort-requiring, difficult defensive system and gets them to execute it with pride. That is such a testament to his coaching. He got his team to overcome the loss of its two best players in Bud Sasser and Traymond Mark. Bud Sasser was the only guy on last year's team, aside from, uh, to a lesser extent, Kyler Edwards, that like really was an engine for their Final Four run. And here they are again with a really good chance to knock off the one seed in their region and get to the Elite Eight and maybe go back to the Final Four. I, I mean, yeah, I just don't think that there's... Should he be National Coach of the Year? No, 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 no. But he needs to get more credit than what people have given him. And there's just like for a guy who failed at Indiana, went to the well, NBA. Well, he didn't well, fail at Indiana. He was winning at Indiana, and then he did something that well, is no longer fair, illegal. Fair, fair, <laughs> fair, 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 fair. Correction: a guy who got fired at Indiana was out of the college game for an extended period of time. Comes back to Houston, and by all accounts, came back a better coach because of the offensive principles he picked up while he was in the NBA. He deserves more credit, like. We, we do all these things talking about all these elite coaches. He's one of the elite coaches in college basketball. Yeah, and he, I mean, if we give a lot of credit to Mark Few for allowing Gonzaga to rack up wins, rack up 30-win seasons all the time. Mm-hmm. Houston has won 30 games for the second, or, well, it would have been second season in a row if, if last year there was more than just 32 games for right. for what it was and and that this is the second 30 win season in the last 4 years for uh for Houston and I know that their final four run last year objectively was Mickey Mouse and was Yeah, they didn't play a single They didn't seed. play a single digit seed. But and I I laughed when I heard Kevin Harlan say that today was their first win over a single digit seed in the NCAA tournament since Five Slamma Jamma in 1984 like that's an incredible stat for that program but part of that's because Houston was such a poor program for 
a while in the 90s um, and early 2000s. Kelvin Sampson has revived it, and as they head to the Big 12, like they are a legit threat. Um, I think if I'm Arizona, I am I'm not just like oh we're on the next round we're we're good. Like if I'm Gonzaga, you get past Memphis, probably feel relatively decent about playing Arkansas. I'll just say this: we talk about Gonzaga and what they are and the, how they exist in college basketball now. Well, I mean, Gonzaga has been to two Final Fours. Under Kelvin Sampson, Houston has been to one. Houston all-time has been to six. The most recent prior to last year was 1984, but there's a good chance Houston gets back this year. Like, there is a world where Kelvin Sampson has been to as many Final Fours at Houston as Mark Few has been to at Gonzaga. Like, if Duke beats Gonzaga and Houston gets out of the region and gets to the Final Four... It'll be two straight Final Fours, which would be a very impressive feat. Without their two best players. Yeah, and that's insane in and of itself. That is insane. And they did it last year, too. Where they lost one of their most important players and then were able to go on a run. When Mills pretty much just said, I'm I'm done, peace. And he ended up tra- transferring to Florida State. But... They did it last year, too. Their leading scorer from the year before was not a part of the team. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I've i been on the Kyler Edwards train for a while. Yes, you and have. thought he's been— Since the Final since Four, the final four Texas of Tech. Texas Tech in freshman a year. A Marley's booth. Yeah. You decided Kyler Edwards was your dude, and it's finally paying dividends. And, and he was phenomenal. Special today. Phenomenal. Um, I— I, I don't know if I'm picking Houston to beat Arizona on Thursday night, mm-hmm. but I would not be surprised if they do so. Um, There's a lot of dog factor in that game. Mm-hmm. A lot of dog factor. I think it's going to be a very feisty game, for sure. Yeah. But, like, I I almost think to to go back to the Arizona game, I'm not going to blame Kirk Risa for playing poorly because I don't think Kirk Risa should have been playing. Probably not, but like, he also was not going to be kept off that court. That's to, that's on Tommy Lloyd though. Like you're playing your dude 27 minutes when he's on one foot. It's pretty bad. Yeah, I'm not going to push back. Dale and Terry running point looked pretty good. It always looks decent. Given uh, there is cause for concern, Arizona's turned the ball approaching, turned the ball over approaching 40 times now in their first two games of the tournament. And Houston's a good defensive team. Yeah, a better well. That will not be easy. I, I, as somebody who picked Arizona to win the national title, I am concerned, bordering on afraid. I would say it's it's shocking, truly shocking that a league full of teams that play great defense is playing great defense in the NCAA tournament where defense travels. That's that's really surprising to me that TCU is playing good defense and Texas Tech's playing good defense and all these Big 12 teams are playing better than normal. Iowa State won a true road game today in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. All of, like, Gabe on Gabe's. That's the most... Is, that is Iowa State in the Sweet 16 more surprising than St. Peter's? Some have said. No, it's not. I, I like how you actually thought about that. Well, yeah, but, like, it's not because... Obviously, it's St. Peter's. It's a 15 yeah, it's seed. Obviously, yes. Obviously. A 15 seed in but, the Sweet 16. But I'm putting yeah. it together of, like, how many... How many people reasonably thought Iowa State had a chance against Wisconsin? And Not I. Say, but I thought it, I thought they were gonna. I thought it was gonna be absolute comfort zone for them. Like Wisconsin was gonna play the game that they wanted them to play, and if anything, Wisconsin was going to allow themselves to get into a game that Iowa State was gonna be comfortable playing. That's what happened. Yeah, huge day for the Gabe's. Gabe Kausher leads all scores, twenty plus for him. Wisconsin's three point shooting was so bad. Did it with only one made three, which I was proud of him for. Realizing what he's he was. He's not a good three-point shooter. No, he's not. But the nation thinks he is. They think he is. They. Yes. They. The big, masses. Big day for the, the haters. Big day for the random theys. Yes. That the game. T, they. Dude. Five of 36 were the two teams combined from three. I'm going to need to cross-compare this bracket once it's done to brackets previous. but I, And, like, you can chalk it up to poor guard play across the country. And we'll talk about Chuck Moore in a minute. Because he is not one of those poor guards. He has been anything short of golden these first two games. But I just feel like the scoring is just at an all-time low right now. 
I don't think the scoring is at an all-time low, but I think that the... Like, we're getting games decided in the 50s and 40s, Gabe. Yeah, but that's happened. That feel that feels odd to me. Especially with fans in the building. That feels strange. But, I, again, I, I need to look at the historical precedent to actually confirm that that's an ill-placed feeling. I think fans in the building makes it harder to play offense. Really? Yeah, I do. Okay, fair enough. Um, I don't think scoring is... I don't think that there's any data to support that scoring's down. Maybe you can go check. But like yesterday, aside from the eyesore that was New Mexico State and Arkansas, everything else was kind of hanging in the 70s. Like we've we've been getting some points. Like that was two Creighton Kansas was in the 70s, Memphis Gonzaga was nearly in the 80s. North Carolina Baylor went to overtime, but it was in the 80s anyways. But a lot of the, it's like low 70s a la it got there because of free throws in some of these games. So that's, anyway. I think that's just normal. Fair enough. Um, can we talk about do you want to talk about Duke or do you want to talk about Auburn? Losing? No, I think we need to talk about Auburn getting knocked off okay. and you you called this again. There were so many moments where it was just like Wendell Green where he just went to go shoot. Your, and I was your, just, your notes. Yeah, I, I wrote some notes uh, about this, and I called him Wendell Moore for a second, the two Wendells, and I go, Wendell Moore, what are you doing? Wendell less, please, um, which is not applicable here, but it got me thinking. Wendell Green always thinks he has the Wendell Green light, and in reality, he needs to be on the Wendell Green bench. Like, a lot more. It doesn't matter now. Auburn wasted Jabari Smith. They go home. It's the first time that Bruce Pearl has lost as a favorite in the tournament. He had been 8-0 previous. Now he is 8-1. and And Miami just flatly outplayed Auburn. And Sam Wartenberg's health is important. We'll see if he can't get that wrist healthy. He's been doing with a lot of different injuries, coming off a year in which he sat the year injured after, I believe it was an Achilles injury. Um, but the five-out thing makes for a really exciting basketball game. And when you've got a point guard that can orchestrate and be in control of the game at all times, it feels like. Like, Chuck Moore really does, like, the the comp between him and Kyle Lowry gets more strengthened for me every single time I watch him. His understanding defensively is insane. His understanding of game flow and the ability he has to grab a game with both hands, it, it's comforting. If you're a Miami fan, I'm sure to know that he is not going to do something stupid with the ball. And each possession is going to be run to its absolute maximum. Here's the number. Miami has, guess guess how many times Miami has turned the ball over in this tournament? Through two games. Ooh. It's on the scroll. People are watching the stream. They probably already know. Um, it's an absurdly low number. I'll give you that little hint there. I'm going to guess like Four a game, so I'll say eight. Seven. Okay. That's insane. That is incredible. And, uh, like, I mean, Miami scares me in an Elite Eight matchup, potentially. They with, should. With Kansas, because they will bomb threes. And and they should take and care of Iowa variance. State. Well, we, they're going to be playing a road game in Chicago. They will be playing a road game. And yeah, exactly. And you never know. Uh, Chuck Moore is from Chicago. His family will be out in force, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, Tracy Wilson had a great line about how it's, you know, the hurricanes and the cyclones in the Windy City. That's cool. That's nice. Yeah. Um, I can't. I can believe that Auburn lost. I can't believe that Auburn lost. Oh, I can absolutely believe it. Walker Kessler couldn't make anything within two feet. Like, they just couldn't take the lid off the basket in the second half. Okay, so here's, here's and, what and I Wendell find. And Wendell Moore and Katie Johnson did so many stupid things. Well, and among the stupid things that they did is they forgot that Jabari Smith existed because... They always do that, but Jabari didn't play well. No, but Jabari didn't play well, but he didn't really have the opportunity to do much because he took... Okay, he takes a shot. He took a... Uh, he missed a dunk at 1434 to go I in the second I know what you're about to... Yeah. He took free throws at 1144, okay? So that's technically not a shot, but it's free throws. He went one of two. So you could say, make your free throws. Um he does not take another shot because he gets fouled at 627 and makes free throws. So it was five minutes between free throws. And then it was, I'm still scrolling, 
it was till in the 258 marker that he missed a three-pointer. So he went from essentially the he went from the 14-minute mark until the 250 mark without taking a shot. And I know that he got fouled. I know that he got fouled. So that is a little bit of a of a disclaimer, but when when the rest of the Auburn offense was guys dribbling around specifically by guys, I mean Katie Johnson and Wendell Green. Oh Dribbling around looking like they were chickens with their heads cut off. It, it was, like, it was horrifically bad offense. And I said all year I was scared about the Auburn guards. And in a year full of bad guard play, like, they ran into the one team that actually has good guard play. Their success... Their, Katie Johnson and Wendell Green's success in the middle part of the season ultimately ended up being bad for this team because it inflated their own sense of identity <laughs> so much that they ruined this team season. They were really, really bad. They were, oh my God. I don't know how, like, I guess Bruce Pearl didn't have another option. But there were moments there where Wendell Green, and here's the biggest thing, Gabe. It was laziness. That's what really sent me off the edge. It was Auburn missing a shot at the cup. And Wendell Green just so much so in a sense of disbelief that he didn't make some... 360 super acrobatic layup and actually just threw it up off the glass and didn't even draw a rim. He's just laying on the ground. Chuck Moore outlets Isaiah Wong. Dunk. It that happened, happened so many so times. So many times. Yeah, like Auburn went to the offensive glass like they were TCU, except for they weren't TCU and they were they were their short guards. They got punked. And then they got run out layups and run out layups and run out layups. For they, got, they got punked. Like, I guarantee you there was a moment there in the second half where Chuck Moore thinks to himself, okay, I know exactly what this guy's about to do. We got these dudes, right? Because there was no wasted motion. Soon as the dumb shot went up, outlet to Chuck Moore, somebody runs down the opposite side, hit a head pass, dunk. And, like... Miami went three of fifteen from three. Like they, they were not, they that didn't well. even shoot it well. But they got such efficient offense because every time that they back cut, there was a layup. Like Cam Augusti, ten of eighteen. Isaiah Wong, eight. And of he was 18. so good. Wardenberg was three for four. His one three was an absolute dagger. I think it took them from a, like up yeah. nine to up twelve late. But you're up one at the half, and you're like, wow, Auburn's played like crap. This entire first half, they're only down one. They've got to feel good about things. And they get outscored by 17 in the second half. It was it was really bad. Yep. Um, the ACC is having a moment. The ACC is having a solid a solid run so far. Like, there's a good chance. There's a good chance. I'm not going to say it's a strong chance, but it's a possibility that with three teams playing pretty damn well in this tournament left, all in different regions... There's a, uh, no, they're gonna have teams in positions to get to the final four. More likely zero ACC final four teams or three. I will say zero. More likely zero. Okay. More likely zero. But I would bet two. You would bet two. Duke is playing a lot better in Gonzaga right now. I think Duke's losing to Texas Tech. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I, but at this point in time, North Carolina Purdue. Looks like something that could happen. We'll see what UCLA can say about that. Uh, Hell, St. Peter's. UCLA's going to the Final Four. St. Peter's was rooting so hard, so hard for Texas. Yeah, I'm sure. Them trying to guard Taj Edey is not going to be fun to watch. Zach Edey? Taj Edey. Who is Taj Edey? Former LSU guard. That's who it is. Mm -hmm. Once a show. They don't look even... Sometimes twice. They don't even look remotely. Wendell Moore, Wendell Green. I mean, that was on your own, in the privacy of your own home. Just in my notes. Um, Where is my notebook? I can show the world. Look at this. Look at this. Here on the stream. This is great, great for the... White balancer? Uh, White balancing? We see this? (laughs) No more Wendell Moore. I need Wendell less. Curse words. Wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff. Um, I hope you didn't have any sensitive information on that. No. Okay. It's good. a basketball book. Good, good, good. Um, yeah, so early lines for the Elite Eight. Do you want to go through them? Just Are there other games? We State. probably should talk about Duke Michigan okay, State. Okay, Duke Michigan State. Uh, coach K. Can't coach. <laughs> 
admittedly couldn't coach. That's what he said. Um, he got bailed out. He got bailed out so bad. But shout out Duke because 20, it was a 20 to, what was the final score? The final score was 85 to 76. Machine State led 70 to, 70 to 65. Yeah. So it was a 20 to 6 run to close things out. And it looked like Duke was falling apart. It looked it like it looked like uh, the guys were kind of realizing, like, hey, this could be the end of the thing. And then as soon as Bingham hit free throws to put him up 70 to 65, Duke comes down. Paulo makes a really, really strong move to the rim layup. It's the best I've seen Paolo play in a long time. Yeah. And then Tyson Walker takes a late shot clock three because Michigan State couldn't do anything. That leads to a Jeremy Roach uh, quick layup, timeout. Hauser kind of came back and like answered it, but then Keels hit that straight on three, and as soon as it got tied at 72, it was it was curtains. Like Duke took it, took it from then on. Um, I think there was a point where there's a point where three straight whistles happened in four seconds, and Tom Izzo literally just laughed at the refs. I thought that was very funny, <laughs> um, and. CBS just was obsessed with showing Mickey Krzyzewski over and over and over again in the last three minutes. And I just ask, who wants to see that? Who? Who wants to see that? But Jeremy Roach probably played the game of his year, and that's why Duke advanced. Because Paulo was great in the first half. He was better today. I'm kidding. Paulo was great in the first half. Mark Williams was great in the first half. Jeremy Roach carried him home. Carried him home. And Um, you don't normally think you're going to say that about Duke. I just I, I always go back to the fact that I feel like based on personnel, this Duke team should be so much better defensively, and they could be way more elite than they are. And it gets them into trouble. Like, Michigan State shouldn't score 76 on you. Michigan State does not have the firepower to score 76. Given Gabe Brown was hitting everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he got a specific mention from Coach K, like, we got to close out on Gabe Brown better and make him pass the ball, I was like, whoa. Gabe Brown, a big day for the Gabe. Gabe Kausher balled out. Gabe Brown balled out. He had 19, led Michigan State in scoring. Um, Paolo was just really, really good. And, you know, sometimes Paolo gets a little bit too trigger happy. That is true. That was true in this game. But, again, just kind of circling back to the initial point, when you got an assembly of Keels who was built like Mike Singletary – Wendell Moore, who's a long, athletic, physically gifted guard. Paolo Bancaro is able to be in your front court and not compromise your offense at all because he's got perimeter skills, and he's 6'10". Mark Williams, who's one of the three or four best rim protectors in the country. And then A.J. Griffin, who's incredibly smart, long, and physically gifted. Why is that team not an elite defensive team? Why is this team giving up 70 even 80 at times points consistently. Doug Gottlieb said it's because they played defense with bad balance, and I think he knows more about basketball than I do, so I will defer to him on that. What does that mean? Bad balance. It just means that they, like... They overload sides of the floor? No, no, no. I think he means, like, they don't... Like, your feet. Oh, like, literally. Literally, they play with bad balance, and they allow... They put themselves in positions to be vulnerable to drives and, and... Whatever. Maybe he means the side of the floor. I don't know. But um, would love to have some expansion on that thought. But, like, yeah, Duke, that's the thing with all of these ACC teams is none of them play good defense. Miami Miami ran into Auburn on the day where they did exactly what they needed just to make them uncomfortable. And they rebounded well enough that they avoided any second chance. And Auburn missed very makeable shots. And Auburn missed a lot of makeable shots. And... North Carolina like hit everything for the better portion of a game against Baylor. Kind of tried to throw that game away. Didn't. Duke got pushed and allowed Michigan State to play more comfortable offense than they typically do. And so what I will say is as we get to this next weekend, for Duke is playing Texas Tech, not exactly an offensively gifted team. Mm-hmm. Miami's playing Iowa State, not exactly an offensively gifted team. North Carolina is going to be an underdog and is going to be playing in a UCLA team that actually is offensively gifted. They don't necessarily always take advantage of it. But whether Duke 
Miami and North Carolina allow teams, allow their matchups to play above their season average in offense or, or, or they don't is what's going to determine a lot because like Texas Tech and Iowa State are going to defend and I think are going to provide some problems. But like if, if these teams don't allow them to get comfortable offensively and get their rhythm and all that, it's going to be hard for them to win. Yep. But I think I think Texas Tech. You want you say uh, Houston. Um, you say Houston, Arizona. Yeah. If you're if you're talking about teams that could get punked, I think Duke could get punked by Texas Tech. Like it's it's very possible, um, given that some of Duke's problems are the same things that happen with Auburn. Yep. Which is that they kind of get frantic. They get their shots up quick. And it all kind of falls apart real quick. That's what I lo- I legitimately thought. That's what was happening at six, 70 to sixty five. Yeah, and they got it back, and they they got it back because instead of just chucking something up, Paulo made him a nice move. I will I will say this: Pride cometh before the fall, right? And we saw this happen. At least personally, this was my feeling. I don't know if this was a consensus feeling at the time. I don't want to Mandela affect this, but I remember thinking, okay, this really young Duke team. Just got pushed really hard by UCF. That's going to teach them something. They're going to take that momentum, win in their sails. They're going to ride it all the way to the national title, and they got beat the next game by Michigan State. I would not be surprised if something similar happened here, where Duke starts to think, oh, we're a team of destiny. We figured it out. We we pushed through adversity. And then, bang, Texas Tech, who is going to bring a mallet to that game and hit them in the face over and over and over again, autoplay. Um, it is a real bitch. Yeah, we got a mute. The mute site has been a lifesaver, game changer for me. Um, but Texas Tech is going to punch them consistently. They are going to make Duke answer, and I'm interested to see how they respond to that. I think they could. I also think they could not. Mm-hmm. And Texas Tech also could just be like, "Yeah, we're not going to score today," and get beat seventy-five to. 48. It's, I don't think that's going to happen. It's notable that the last time that we had Duke in a Sweet 16, 1, 2, 3, and 4 all made it there with Duke and Virginia Tech as the 1, 4, LSU, Michigan State was mm-hmm. the 2, 3. We got that again in the West. Wait, was did it sequence UCF, then Virginia Tech? They were both close games. Yes. It was okay. UCF, Excuse me. UCF, they won by 1. Virginia Tech, they won by 2. And Aubrey Dawkins like somehow missed right at the buzzer mm-hmm. to send them home. Michigan so, State they won they lost by one. So yeah, I, I'll I'll recheck the statement and say that Virginia Tech game is kind of what I akin this to a little bit. Um, we'll see if there's any reason to that here next weekend. But um, at this point in time, like I mean, just looking at it in the vacuum, that's a very significant win for Duke. Yeah, I think it's I think it's massive. I think what we're setting up for, if we want to do, if we want to do thoughts on early thoughts on next weekend. Well, there's a couple other things. Um, okay. I know, I know okay. we got a deadline here. You got some homework to get done. Yes, but uh, we'll speed through this. So let let me move on then. Okay. Okay. I do want to talk about Villanova and Ohio State real quick. Malachi Branham tried to bring Ohio State back in the game. Ultimately, Ohio State's pick and roll coverage kind of doomed them. Uh, they weren't able to get stops consistently, and they dug too deep a hole to come back all the way despite getting it down to one possession there in the last five or so minutes. They get beat 61-71. Villanova's playing really well. Villanova's going to beat Michigan. You confident in that? Okay. Pretty confident in that. Okay. Um, so what does this say about this Villanova team? Did we read them incorrectly? Are they playing well in the right moment? What's up? No, I don't think we read them incorrectly. I think Ohio State, I think that game was closer than 10 points, first of all. Because both of us picked Ohio State in our brackets to win this game. Yes, and in hindsight, it's probably not great to pick a team that is defensively challenged and against a team like Villanova, which has an offensive identity of just find your mismatch, attack the mismatch to the point where there has to be a double pass the ball to the open guy, hit a yeah, shot. And and everyone yeah. is capable, and when your biggest guy on the floor is Eric Dixon and he is the best three-point shooter statistically on your team, yeah, that's very helpful. They're really hard to guard. 
they are they're really, really hard to guard, and Ohio State's not good at guarding people. Yeah. So that is a, that is an issue. Where I, I, I will say Michigan you, is more equipped to play them. I commented I commented to you during the game. I go, it just doesn't feel like Ohio State can do anything to stop Villanova from getting to the places they want to go. And then every time that they got to stop, they got to stop multiple times late, and then they couldn't get a bucket. Couldn't get a bucket on the other end, so they couldn't yeah. put them together. But let's not act like Michigan's like an elite defensive team. They're no, they're. That game will come down to how it's officiated. Is Hunter Dickinson going to get away with everything, kind of like he did against Tennessee, or is he going to be officiated hard? Two quick fouls, Dickinson could completely change that game. So I'm interested about that, and Jay Wright's got another team that can go to the Final Four. I want to ask a question of you before we look towards next week. Sure. There are, at this point, and all these guys are still in the tournament, okay? A handful of guards that have started to like really separate themselves in terms of like point guard play, and we talk about Kemba candidates. True point guard play. Of these four guys, who do you want? R.J. Davis, Chuck Moore, Remy Martin, Colin Gillespie. Go. Ranking them. Who do, who's the guy out of that group that you want? You're picking a puppy from the litter. Oh man. Uh, that was maybe the most Southern thing I've ever said on the show. I'm going with either Gillespie or Remy. Okay. I'll be honest. Because cool. R.J. Davis has these moments where he just does. Yep. Where he just kind of, like, late. He, it was like, it was like buddy system, you know, where you, you go on a field trip, everyone gets their buddy, and you got to stick with your buddy or else. Where are you going with this? You're going to have problems. Okay. Caleb Love is R.J. Davis's buddy. As soon as he lost his buddy in that game, he kind of <laughs> lost his it. way. I love that. And, and so I like R.J. Davis, but I like R.J. Davis knowing that Caleb Love is on the floor with him. So that experience was a little harrowing. Colin Gillespie physically does not overwhelm anyone, but he plays off of two feet at all times. He plays within himself mm-hmm. at all times. He knows what he's trying to do. Um, I think a solid defensive team. I think Arizona physically could overwhelm him. Yeah. If that is the South regional final. And I think that that's likely what I would expect. Um, I think Houston could overwhelm him a little bit if they get up on him in, in a South regional final. But I like the ability that I like, I guess if, if we're, if it depends on if we're looking at it in a vacuum or if you're looking at it as just the player, because even Chuck Moore, Chuck Moore in a vacuum is, a solid player. I think what makes him great is the freedom that Miami allows him to play with, that he kind of gets to do what he wants and kind of figure out if it's his day to score, or if it's other guys' day to score. Yeah, that and that's why he's works. like a true point guard. Yeah, and like Gillespie and Remy are both, I think, at their best because of what is around them. The current mm-hmm. versions of them, what is around them is what okay. makes them best. But I would still take the two of them because I think like – there's a reason why Colin Gillespie and Remy Martin have both been preseason All-Americans before. And Chuck Moore has not. And R.J. Davis has not. Okay. And I also go back to the buddy system. Like, that was a truly traumatizing situation for me watching North Carolina yesterday morning. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not going to count Jaden Ivey in there. He, he deserves a lot of credit. He was spectacular He was today, great today. And I guess we maybe should drop a word or two and get about Texas Purdue and just kind of complete the set. That game no. was awful. Awful. Awfully officiated. Okay, that, yeah. I, uh, us complaining about the referees is not good content, so we'll stop doing that. But I think I am taking Chuck Moore. I, I really do. With wow. the way he's playing right now, with the way he's playing right now, I think I am taking Chuck Moore. Um, that's the guy I want running my offense at the end of the game. Are you aware of the fact that Colin Gillespie is only averaging three and a half assists a game this year? Well, that's because everybody else gets assists on that team. Well, the other complaint that I have with Colin Gillespie, this is a bigger one. Because he's a really good player. He started this game like a house of fire. He scored 10 points in like the first, I, I want to say, five minutes. It was incredible. But a lot of times, like, it feels like Gillespie will, like, start to feel himself early and can't adjust to the course of a game and what's going on for him over the course of a game. Um, and he'll shoot the ball like he scored 40 when he is actually at this point after starting, you know, five for six is now seven for 18. Um and we'll do some dumb stuff. I, I feel like he struggles to understand game flow at points in time. I don't know if that's how I feel. I feel like he 
he hits big shots when he needs to. I feel like he takes a lot of bad shots to get there, though, and that goes swept under the rug because he's Colin Gillespie, and he's, you know, Big East Player of the Year and Big East Scholar Athlete of the Year and the whole Triple Crown thing that Kevin Harlan puts in every run. He Kevin Harlan was spectacular today. I, I don't know. I think, I, I don't know. Villanova... Villanova just feels like another even year Villanova Final Four. I think we're getting I think we're getting Nova Kansas Final Four. Nova Providence. I kind of think that. Although the rubber match. No, 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 no. We if if we get Villanova Providence, I won't watch the Final Four. <laughs> um, I'm not even kidding. I want, if we I, get Arizona Kansas, that's what we need. Yeah. If we get Villanova Providence, the like the the country should boycott and we should send Arizona and Kansas somewhere to play each other <laughs> on that day. Maui. Yeah, just send them to Lahaina. Send them to the soft rims of the the Lahaina Civic Center. Okay, let's let's preview a little bit towards next week. We're gonna have Carson Breber on the show this week to talk about just his thoughts as a newbie paratrooping into this tournament, kind of some draft stuff. So we'll do that. It'll be a different looking preview, and then we'll obviously do our preview pod on Wednesday. Maybe something else. We'll see what the week yields. But let, let's take a look at these games coming up. We got Michigan Villanova, Arkansas Gonzaga, Texas Tech Duke, Houston Arizona. I don't know where you want to start. I'm looking at spreads to see what people are expecting. Gonzaga's an eight and a half point favorite against Arkansas. That's the biggest favorite on Thursday night. Michigan is a five point dog against Nova. Texas Tech Duke is pretty much a pick'em. Texas Tech actually has the advantage. I think people think the Raider the Red Raiders are the better team. I would agree with those people. Um Houston, Arizona is nearly a pick 'em. Arizona's actually favored, but like 538 has their NCAA tournament projections. They've got Houston as a more likely team to win the national championship than Arizona at this point. And then Friday night, the early game is St. Peter's and Purdue. That is a 12 and a half point spread, which is massive. I don't know what St. Peter's answer to Zach Eady is going to be, aside from just like Foul. maybe Tanya Harding pregame. I love that you picked up that terminology. Take him out. Of it. I've been trying to like rub that in. Take for like him out of it. Three years and uh, that like that's maybe a possibility. And then Kansas and Providence, seven and a half point KU favorite. Like that's that should scare you. No, they should win that game pretty comfortably. Seven and a half points should scare you. No, it are you gonna call them a buy? I've yet to approach that, but talk to me on Wednesday night and tell see how I feel. Uh, I want this so bad. I think the best game. I want this so bad. The best game of this. Sweet 16 setup. UCLA is North Carolina. North Carolina. UCLA. Uh, interesting because it's a situation where UCLA doesn't have the biggest bigs, right? Cody Riley, 6'8", on a good day, maybe 6'9". Miles Johnson's a Miles legit 7 footer. A legit 7 footer. But, like, I'm interested to see how they match up. Is Cody Riley, are you going to really allow him to, like, chase Brady Manic around on the perimeter? Are you going to do that? No. Probably not. So, like, does that mean Miles Johnson at the five or Cody at the five against Baycott? Um, do we see Peyton Watson much in this matchup? Because I really think his length could be a weapon defensively, a guy who's, like, an elite defender, too. Um, against Brady Manick, who has scored at this point, what is it, 54 points, 56 points in his first two games? It's over 50. It's yeah, over 50. 28 sure. plus 26. What's that math? Um, 54. Got it. Yes. Bang. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in that. Um, what they can maybe do with Jalen Clark in that same matchup and get really small. What's Jaime Hawkins' health level with his ankle injury that's been bothering him all year that seemed to be re aggravated in the St. Mary's win in a way that looked really bad. Um, yeah. I mean, the matchups in this one are very unique and interesting across the board. And then it's like, okay, you're going to run that high pick and roll stuff. Is Tiger Campbell going to be able to, like, kind of wedge himself underneath that and create problems and havoc there as well? You mentioned something to me that you thought that they maybe should not start Tiger. Yeah, I think that there's a real chance, not a real chance that this actually happens. If I'm Mick Cronin, I would heavily consider putting Jalen Clark in there sitting Tiger Campbell you put Jalen Clark on either Caleb Love or RJ Davis you put uh Juzang on Leaky 
You put Hakez on Manic. And I think you kind of want to hide Juzang because you want to save his energy for offense. Yeah. Uh, you put you put uh, Hakez on Manic. You put Miles um, Johnson on Baycott. And then you go with uh, Jules Bernard against either Love or Davis, whichever one you don't want Jalen Clark to guard, whichever one you think is probably the uh, lesser of the two. So probably RJ Davis. And I like... I think Jalen Clark plays a massive role in this game because he's going to have to be an incredible defender and he's going to have to be a disruptor in the pick and roll. But if North Carolina comes to play in the way that they did against Duke in the Coach K farewell game, if they come to play the way that they did against Baylor, like they can absolutely win this game. And the seed, like the the seeds eight four, it doesn't feel like that because this North Carolina team kind of feels a little bit like that Kentucky team in twenty fourteen. Mm-hmm. They got an eight seed and probably. Talent wise, uh, and resume wise, like yeah. resume wise, you can understand why they got an eight. Talent wise, they are no. at their best a three seater. I'm better. certainly surprised to see that UCLA is two point favorite at this point in time. I thought it would be a pick'em or UCLA would be the underdog to North Carolina, just because of how UNC is playing right now, and because of, I mean both are blue bloods, but I almost feel like North Carolina is like a bluer blood, especially as of late. Um, yeah, that game's going to be awesome. It's in Philadelphia. North Carolina will travel for it. Uh, I, it's hard for me to imagine a big UCLA contingent there, so that will be interesting as well. Any other thoughts here before we uh, pitch it off for the evening? Um, I had a few tweets bookmarked for interesting numbers. Uh, John Rothstein tweeted that Al McGuire, he, he tweeted the little thing that he says where Al McGuire once said that to win a national title, you have to at least have played one NCAA tournament game that came down to the final possession. Did Arizona just play that game? That is not true. We literally, Villanova. We literally just saw Villanova in 2018 roll through people. We saw Baylor last year go 24-13, 11-9, 19-16 en route to a national championship. Like, this happens. We see teams go and win national titles without... All the time. ...a competitive game. Um, Another thought that I've had is as this bracket kind of rolls out and as I get inundated with Jack Loader texts of, like, you don't want Kansas to end up in the Final Four with a Mickey Mouse That guy is just an agitator. Yeah. And he's like, you don't don't want uh, Kansas' Final Four trip to get... Uh, asterisked by the fact that they would get a sixteen, oh, a th- nine, and then I thought you were going to say Adidas. No, no, by 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 an eleven <laughs> or ten seed in the final in the Elite Eight. But go look at what they ran into in the two thousand eight national championship run. They played a sixteen, of course. Then they played, uh, I believe, a nine, and then in the final, the last two games. I know that in the in the Elite Eight game, they got Steph Curry, who was a 10. But then they get to the Final Four and they played two one seeds. And we are still very much in play for Gonzaga getting there and Arizona getting there. And Kansas would have to play two one seeds in the Final Four. So Jack Loader, shut up. Stop sending me those. I literally don't care what happens as long as we end up with Kansas and Nova or Kansas and Arizona. Um, and I think you would admit that Providence, aside from the story, Providence in the Final Four would suck. Suck. You don't want to see. You don't want to see them play Nova again. And Arizona ah, would. Arizona would. Yourself. Arizona speak would run yourself. them off the floor. No, I want to see this. No, I absolutely want to see this. Only corporate Scotty wants to see Miami Arizona would be a fun game. No, it wouldn't. Probably not. Actually, no. Because it, I don't think Miami can get enough rebounds in that game to win that game. It wouldn't. Kansas Arizona actually like legitimately scares me too. But how's your bracket doing? Awful. How's my bracket doing? Slightly better, but no one, no one's kicking ass. I, I'm in the 70th percentile. We're climbing. Shout out Laura, 86th percentile. She's hanging up there. Loader's in the 91st percentile. That pisses We're gonna me off. We're going to lose Scotty. That pisses me off. No, that's not his bracket. That's. I guess the heat check bracket sucks. We had Kentucky. Yeah, so, the but that's the consensus bracket. That's. I thought it was the best of you, me, Jack, and his. Ooh, I don't. I didn't know that that was... I, I didn't join anything. I didn't sign anything. I don't think Scott wants to be there, so I'm not going to do that to him. <laughs> um, The only other stat, I saw this, stats by stats, Matherin and Coloco, to put a cherry on top, because I started the show by b- 
being like TCU got robbed. They did. But Arizona played incredible tonight, and Matherin and Coloco did. 58 points, 20 rebounds, 3 st- blocks, 3 steals between the two of them. The last teammate duo to reach all those numbers mm. in an NCAA tournament game was David Robinson and Vernon Butler. I was wondering. In 1986 for Navy in the uh, upset over Syracuse. So, like, that doesn't happen, and that was an incredible yeah, game. The NBA numbers. Yeah. Like, five guys in this game combined for close to 130 points. It was a fantastic game. Yeah, like Mike Miles, uh, O'Bannon. Um, why am I forgetting the dude's name? Mike Peavy? No. Eddie Lampkin? Lampkin. Yeah. Yeah, it's late. Uh, Lampkin, Matherin, and Coloco combined. They all had 20-plus. That doesn't happen in college basketball games, given there was an overtime session, but still. Um, the TCU will be, if we were talking about yesterday, Creighton being yes. an elite team next year. If Mike Miles comes back to school... TCU will be a very good team next year. They will compete for a Big yep. 12 championship. Scholarships and sanctions. Um, sanction to zebras, bad animal. <laughs> Scholarship to... You didn't like Racing Stripes? <sighs> what a movie. Yeah. What a movie, but bad animal still. <laughs> uh, yeah. Zebras suck. And you might need a new poster. <laughs> zebras, zebras suck. Scholarship to God... For providing us a Providence, Providence Kansas Sweet yes. 16 game. Um, we've been asking for this. We've been asking for this. We're not going to get Kansas versus Wisconsin or Kansas versus Auburn in an Elite Eight game. We could get Kansas, Iowa State. could get Kansas, Miami. We could I get mean, Kansas you, you and Chuck You need to eat some words on Iowa State at this point, even though this is complete fluke. Do I? I was... Iowa State, I don't think, belongs here I, I, to a lesser extent than St. Peter's. No, 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 no. no. Yep. I didn't. But here's the thing: I was right about Iowa State. They, they, they did get. They the faded. Season. They faded in Big Twelve play. They started twelve and zero. They finished uh, eight and twelve in their last twenty games in Big Twelve play. Mm-hmm. They wound up as an eleven seed. I said they'd be somewhere between nine and eleven, and then I picked them to beat LSU in my bracket, and I said nothing else about them negatively. So Fair. I don't feel like I. Good for them. Isaiah Brockington, fun to root for. Gabe yep. Kausher, fun to root for. TJ Otzelberger legitimately has had the single greatest single season turnaround probably ever. Tyrese Hunter is going to be an incredible player. He, yeah. 2024 um, Big 12 Player of the Year. Yeah. Um, I've got two. First one is a two-fold scholarship sanction to Corporate Scotty, <laughs> who scholarship got on the video quick for the Benedict Matherin dunk. Uh, got it out to the world. It's just Whoa. surpassed 100 likes on Twitter. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> sanction for spelling Benedict's name wrong. To be fair, Benedict spells his name wrong with two N's. But no, 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 no. Also, his, his, it's Canadian spelling. <laughs> yes, sure. Uh, did you know he played at the uh, NBA International Academy in Mexico City? According to Bill Walton. I did not know that. What? Bill Walton says that all the time. I was I making a joke. That. I'm surprised you didn't know that. Um, also sanctioned to everybody in the world who saw that tweet and didn't say anything about it because you guys also need to spell Benedict name Benedict Matherin's name correctly. I love the <laughs> I love the I dare anyone to show me a better dunk in college basketball, a better dunk this season. Some of these tw- quote tweets have been wild. Because, but like, I dare anyone to show me a better dunk. Like, good dunks are just like good ice cream. Everybody thinks something's different and something's better. So, yep. like, there is no true great answer. It was a phenomenal dunk. I love this quote tweet 12 minutes ago from Matt Esman 1. Assault. Just assault, period. <laughs> It was assault. Um, I would also say Dale and Terry committed assault on Mike Miles. <laughs> we got Nick Benito retweeted us first round draft pick in the NFL draft, upcoming likely. You see that? I did see that. I had I click I thought it was gonna be a fan account and it's like nope that guy's got eighteen thousand followers. Um, Scholarship to Dom Boomer Sooners. Scholarship to Dom. So, sanction to Bruce Pearl. Sanction to Bruce Pearl. I, I can't even defend you, dude. Shut up, Bruce. The SEC has failed in this tournament. We just beat each other up all year. Shut up. What did the Big 12 do? They were playing freaking yeah, hand-to-hand physical combat every night. <laughs> None of y'all could win on your each other's courts. 
and it's falling apart. You're soft. Soft and away from home. The thing is that even if it had fallen apart, we figured Kentucky would be right in the thick of this, and they got beat by the Peacocks. The Peacocks. The Peacocks. That play at Run Baby Run Center mm-hmm. on a street somewhere in the hometown of Frank Darby. <laughs> a street. Not a campus. A street with houses. That's St. Peter's. Mm-hmm. Great branding, though. Honestly, awesome branding. I'm going to get the shirt. I'm going to get the St. Peter's Sweet 16 shirt because that's going to be awesome to have in five years. Yes. Also, uh, sanction to teachers who give homework the first weekend of the tournament. You suck. Like, you're an abomination. Well, I should have done this earlier this week. No, I don't care. That's wrong. But it is stress management. Really sick. Sick and messed up that I'm I'm being stressed about homework in a class about stress management. No. They'll come back and tell you if you segment out the workflow throughout the course. Yeah, 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 for sure. You gave me a deadline of 11.10. It's 11.17, so we should probably end the show. This has been Heat Check. We'll talk to you later in the week. Sweet 16, coming up.